good. Well, church, this week uh, we are continuing in our Easter sermon series entitled Beauty from Ashes, where we are looking at the various ways in which the cross of Christ and our Lord's resurrection from the dead have redeemed even the most broken aspects of our lives. This phrase, beauty from ashes, comes from the prophet Isaiah, who looked forward to the year of the Lord's favor and declared that one day God would give to his people a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. That he would give the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. And that ancient ruins would be built up, the former devastations would be raised up, and the ruined cities would be repaired. It's a vision of redemption and renewal into even the most hopeless and desolate areas of our life. In our gospel reading this morning from Luke, Jesus read from this very passage of Isaiah about the year of the Lord's favor. And then he declared that in their hearing, the scripture was fulfilled, meaning that in his presence, the year of the Lord's favor had come to earth. The great hope of redemption had come in the person of Jesus. And so throughout this series, we're looking at different ways in which this great reality is true. But we began by considering how as a result of Jesus, our striving is turned into rest. Last week, we considered how as a result of Jesus, our despair is turned into hope. This week, we're looking at what is possibly the most expansive of all of these topics in the scriptures. It is a thick thread that is woven throughout the Bible from start to finish. And it is an issue so close to God's heart that he defines himself by it. And he calls us to remember our engagement with it for all the days of our lives. This week, we're talking about how Jesus brings us, from, uh, brings us freedom out of our slavery. And the way that we're going to consider this topic is by looking at it in three different categories. We're going to look at the horrors of slavery, the help of a savior, and the humanness of being a servant. Okay? The horrors of sin, the help of our savior, and the humanness of being a servant. First, the horrors of slavery. In 1805, A Quaker printer and reformist named Samuel Wood published a broadside, which is like a one-page newspaper article that was intended to inform the public about the horrors of slavery. In it, he attempted to bring to life the reality of the slave trade and the treatment of slaves through uh, seven strikingly vivid vignettes depicting slaves being whipped and sold and tortured and separated from their families. Through these examples, he described how slavery altered one's identity through the branding that occurred, right? Slaves were no longer identified by their old self. They were now the property of another. He described how slavery led to the destruction of families and familial relationships. His family members were often sold to different traders and were split apart, never to see one another again. He described how the brutality of slavery forced people into submission, where they were beaten down until they simply gave up hope. And he described how the instruments of slavery literally bound people into their servitude through shackles and yokes which they could not escape. It's all a horrific reminder 
of the terribly dark part of our nation's history and of the history of our world, which always has had and continues to this day to have slavery in it. The title of the article powerfully illustrates why I believe the institution of slavery is so fundamentally wrong and why it is so deeply grievous to God. Wood titled his article, Injured Humanity. Injured Humanity. Isn't that the effect of slavery in our world? Isn't that the fundamental reason why slavery is so very wrong? It injures the very nature of humanity that is within us. It makes us less than God has created us to be. It demeans the inherent value uh, which God has given to each of us in creation. It removes the dignity that, that we are given as his image bearers here on earth. To enslave someone takes a person who is of infinite worth and places a finite value on them. To enslave someone takes a person who has a God-given purpose and repurposes them for our own means. To enslave someone takes what belongs to God and claims ownership over it for oneself. The scriptures tell us that every human being is fearfully and wonderfully made by God. And as a result is given dignity and value and worth and purpose and significance by him and for him. That is what it means to be human. But in slavery, all of this is taken away. It seeks to make one less than they were created to be, less than human. In fact, in order to treat someone in such a way as slavery treats them, you almost have to view them as less than human, don't you? That's why during the Holocaust, Nazis referred to the Jewish people as rats. Or why during the Rwandan genocide, the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches. When we take away someone's humanity, it allows us to commit unimaginable cruelty on them. These are the horrors of slavery. It injures our humanity. And it is deeply grievous to God. At the end of his article, after depicting the horrors of slavery, Samuel Wood challenged every honest man to lay a hand upon his breast and to consider whether he is justifiable in countenancing such barbarities or whether he ought not to reject with horror the smallest participation in such infernal transactions. And today, I would ask the same of each and every one of you. This morning, I want to challenge every honest man and woman in this church to lay a hand on your heart and consider if you are justifiable in allowing such barbarities or whether you ought not to reject with horror the smallest participation in such infernal transactions. Now, I realize that may sound like an odd challenge to give to someone like you who's never enslaved another person. But haven't you? Haven't we all? We've done it to ourselves. Here's what I mean by that. In John chapter 8, as Jesus was talking with a group of believers about how he wanted to set them free, Jesus said, or they said to Jesus, but we are offsprings of Abraham and have never been enslaved by anyone. 
Which wasn't true, by the way, because they had been enslaved by the Egyptians and they had been enslaved by the Assyrians and they had been enslaved by the Babylonians and they were currently under the thumb of Rome. But all of that's beside the point because it's not what Jesus was talking about. Jesus wasn't talking about freeing them from any form of physical slavery. Instead, Jesus was talking about freeing them from their slavery to sin. For what he goes on to say is truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. Jesus wasn't talking with them about physical slavery. He was talking with them about their spiritual slavery. And that is a form of slavery that each and every one of us have subjected ourselves to. Jesus said that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. The scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, all of humanity, every single one of us, has been enslaved under the power of sin. We've all subjected ourselves to sin and become enslaved as a result of it. And while the damaging effects of our spiritual slavery to sin may be less obvious than the horrors of physical slavery... But while the effects of our slavery to sin may be less apparent, they are no less destructive to our lives or to our world. As it is with physical slavery, so it is with our spiritual slavery to sin. In every way, it injures our humanity. Like physical slavery, slavery to sin entraps us with a power that we cannot escape from on our own. Sin is like invisible shackles on our souls that binds us and keeps us from escaping its power. The book of Lamentations describes sin as a yoke placed upon our necks, which causes our strength to fail. You cannot get out of sin on your own. Like physical slavery, slavery to sin alters our identity. And declares us the possession of another. We cease to be the men and women that God created us to be. We are no longer saints, but instead we are sinners. Sin changes our our family allegiance from being children of God to being sons and daughters of the devil. It defines our identity and it determines the outcome of our future. Like physical slavery, slavery to sin tears apart our families and tears us apart from all of our meaningful relationships. Our sin isolates us, causes us to put up barriers with one another, causes us to hide ourselves in guilt and shame and fear. It harms all of our relationships. And like physical slavery, slavery to sin eventually destroys us. Not from the outside in like physical slavery does, but from the inside out. Beginning in our hearts and our souls, sin is described like a yeast that spreads throughout the body Just like a cancer would. Have you ever noticed how sin does this to you? How it injures your humanity. How it makes you less than what God created you to be. How it demeans the inherent value which God has given to you in creation. Sin mars our sense of dignity and value and worth and purpose and significance that that are given to us by God and for God in creation. Its far-reaching consequences affect every area of our lives. Every aspect of what it means to be truly human, sin attacks. It injures our humanity. 
Theologically, we say it has caused humanity to fall. We are fallen. Our humanity is injured. This is the horror of our sin. It's taken God's good creation and marred every aspect of it. And left to ourselves, we are helpless to do anything about it. We have no power over it. We have no ability to escape it. It controls us and we are enslaved to it. So much so that we can't control our own thoughts or actions. Even when we have the desire to do what is right, we don't have the ability to carry it out. We don't do the good that we want to do, but the evil that we don't want to do, this is what we keep on doing. Do you know this reality in your life? Where you keep making decisions that are harmful to you and destructive to your relationships, and your selfishness and your anger and your lust and your addictions and your insistence on putting yourself first, whatever it may be. It's this reality that led the Apostle Paul to cry out, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? That's the horror of sin. It causes us to hate ourselves. It causes us to need to be saved from ourselves. And this is our predicament apart from Christ. Hopeless and helpless to the powers and the effects of sin. Which brings us to our second point this morning, that we have the help of a Savior. And this is the good news of the gospel, church, that that God has come to help us. We see a beautiful reminder of that reality in our Old Testament and gospel readings from this morning. In the reading from Exodus, we heard the account of Moses and the burning bush. In that story, God's people had been in slavery in Egypt for 400 years And recently that slavery had become increasingly brutal and inhumane. Their children were being killed. Their labor was impossible. Their taskmasters were cruel. Their humanity was deeply injured. In the midst of their enslavement, God's people cried out for help. And in response to the cries of his people, the Lord appeared to Moses in the form of a burning bush, where he gave to his people what I believe are some of the most comforting and hopeful words in all the scriptures. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. In response to the people's cry, God says, I see your affliction. I hear your cries. I know your suffering, and I have come to help you. I see you. I hear you. I know you. I'm coming to help. Isn't that exactly what we need? A God who hears us and sees us. Is compassionate towards us and who comes to help us in our times of need. It's exactly what we need and it's exactly what we have. Because, of course, that is what the Lord has done. He did it immediately in the Passover, dealing with his, his people's physical slavery, bringing the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea and eventually into the Promised Land. He did it even more fully in the sending of his son Jesus to deal with our slavery to sin. As we heard in the gospel reading from Luke this morning, as Jesus proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor, he said that he had come to proclaim liberty to the captives and that he had come to set those free who were oppressed. Through his life, death and resurrection, this is what Jesus has done for us. 
As a result of his work on the cross, Jesus has delivered us from our slavery to sin. And there's a a three-part movement by which Jesus has done this. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin, from the power of sin, and one day he will deliver us from the presence of sin. Let me explain those really briefly. First, he's delivered us from the penalty of sin. The scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death. But upon the cross, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us and bore the penalty of our sin in his own body. He died in order that we might live. He's paid the penalty of our sins for us so that we never have to pay it for ourselves. As a result, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We no longer need to bear the guilt of our sin. We no longer have to pay its penalty. It has been dealt with once and for all upon the cross. Instead, we now have the great hope that even when we die, yet shall we live. He's delivered us from the penalty of sin. Second, he's broken the power of sin over our lives. Prior to the, the work of Christ on the cross, we had no ability to resist sin. We couldn't stand against it. It controlled us. We couldn't control it. But what we heard in our New Testament reading today from Romans 6 was that by associating ourselves with Christ through our baptism, we became united with him in his death and in his resurrection. Paul says that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Our old self that was enslaved to sin, it died with Jesus upon the cross. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all, but the life he lived, he lives to God. So we also must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Church, what that means is that if you've been baptized into Jesus, you are a new creation. New creation. The old has gone. It is dead in the grave. Something new has come. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are once again a child of God. It says the great old hymn in Christ alone declares, as he stands in victory, sin's curse has lost its grip on me. Previously, you had no choice but to sin, but that is no longer the case. Now you can choose to live differently. You can choose to live in righteousness. You are free to do so. Because by the resurrection of Jesus, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. So Jesus has dealt with the penalty of sin and he's dealt with the power of sin. And one day the very presence of sin will be gone as well. That's not the case yet. Even though we've been set free from our slavery to sin, we still have the temptation towards sin. But we have the ability to enslave ourselves to it all over again. Sin still still lives in our flesh. But we have to live our lives aware of it and be on guard against it. But one day, even that struggle will be over. For at the end of time, we're told that the devil and death and Hades will be cast into the lake of fire, never to harm us again. That all of the sin that led to our mourning and to our crying and to our pain will be no more. This is the help of our Savior. In response to our desperate need and our cries for help, He's come to rescue us from our slavery to sin. He has borne the penalty of our sin. He's broken the power of our sin. And one day soon he will remove his very presence from our lives, never to harm us again. 
It's the help of our Savior. He's come to set us free. And this leads me to the final point for this morning. The, the humanness of servanthood. I know that's a weird expression. But here's what I mean by it. The scriptures make a big deal about our freedom. It tells us that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It tells us that we were called to freedom. That Jesus himself tells us that if the Son sets you free, then you are free indeed. The scriptures are all about us finding freedom from the sin that enslaves us. But what we don't often understand is that when the scriptures speak of true and full freedom, they don't mean what we often hear. For when we hear freedom, we think, I can do whatever I want now. Or that there's nothing that constrains me any longer. When we hear freedom, we think, free from everything. That's not at all what the scriptures mean in its celebration of freedom. For you see, the reality is, is that we are all, always enslaved to someone or to something. There is no such thing as true and unfettered freedom. Even if we tried to live like that, we would only end up serving ourselves, doing whatever our desires wanted. And in the end, we would end up enslaved to our own passions. The reality is that we are all serving someone or something. So the question isn't, do we serve someone or not? The question is, does what we serve help us or hurt us? Are we serving something or someone that makes us more or less human? Is our master redeeming our humanity or injuring it? The reality is that if we are serving anyone or anything other than the Lord, we're enslaving ourselves to sin all over again. And this is the great challenge for Christians who have been set free from sin, but who still live in a world where sin exists. The scriptures warn us of this over and over and over again. Paul in Galatians 5 says, You were called to freedom, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't do whatever you want, Paul is telling us. Or or Peter in 1 Peter 2 says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. That is what freedom is. You see, when the scriptures talk about freedom, they mean freedom to follow the Lord. What Jesus set us free for is that we might be free to follow him. Because it is only when we are tethered to him that we experience life that is truly life. It's only when our wandering hearts are bound to him that we experience the life that we were created to experience. It's only when we're servants of the Lord that we experience the dignity and the value and the worth and the purpose and the significance and the meaning in our lives that we were created for. Our humanity is most redeemed, most restored when we're following after and serving the one who made us. I mean, think about it. Jesus is the most authentic human being who has ever lived. And in obedience to his father, he became a servant of all. It's in our servanthood to Jesus. And in obedience to him, our servanthood to one another, that we experience our fullest 
most redeemed humanity. We're called to great extremes to experience it. Jesus warns that if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. We are called to be on guard at all times against the encroachment of sin in our lives. Because it enslaves us and it injures our humanity. It does great harm to us and it is grievous to our God. And Jesus died to set you free from it. So you cannot go back to it any longer. And so church, I want to end this morning by issuing to you once again the challenge that Samuel Wood posed at the end of his article on injured humanity. Because slavery to sin is horrible. But we have a Savior who has come to help us. So I want to challenge every honest man and woman in this church to lay a hand upon your heart. And to consider if you are justifiable in allowing such barbarities. Or whether you ought not to reject with horror the very smallest participation in such infernal transactions. Church, the leer of the Lord's favor is upon you. You need not be captive anymore. Christ literally died in order to set you free. So do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Instead, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And run with perseverance. The race marked out for you. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. The author and perfecter of your life.